0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part two in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 19th of April 2009, entitled, Earnestly Contending Continued. And the Bible reading is the book of Jude, chapters 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Again this morning, the book of Jude. Next to the last book in your Bible. Again this morning, I'd like to read... The entire book, all 25 verses, and then we'll focus in on the verses we're going to look in. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ." I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, The Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. and Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, Building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and if some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of of His holy and exceeding joy, with with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, thank You again for this time together today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. And we pray now, Lord, that You would take and anoint, use this time for Your glory, Father, that You would speak to the needs of each and every heart present here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Of course, last Sunday being Easter, it was two weeks ago when we began the series on contending for the faith. We're using as our text, as our theme, if you would, verse 3 says that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We began with the simple thought of earnestly contending if that's what we are to do. And, of course, we, we looked at three of the four points that week that I was supposed to have gotten to. Uh, first of all, that we need to contend for the faith because that there is a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that is firm against a foe. That's a fraud. And we find that we looked at those things, and we're not going to go back there today, but contending for the faith carries with it the connotation of fighting. There are some things in our Christian faith that we must be willing to fight for. And for a faith in all of its fullness, and all that makes our faith what it is, there are what we would call fundamental beliefs Fundamental things that are the very bases that cannot be changed. Things that we have got to, if the faith that has been passed on to us is to stay pure, if it's to be truth at all, then there are those things that cannot change. And so we need to fight, not just for the gospel, folks, not just for people coming to know Christ, but I'm saying for a faith in all of its fullness that the Lord has given to us, that keeps our faith strong, that makes our faith work, that makes it all that it is. And, of course, as we do that, we saw that we do that on a foundation that's firm. Our foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Also, we see that Jesus Christ Himself, He gave us things when He left this world that would help us, is founded upon His Word, is founded upon His church that He has given to us, the gifts that He's given, the evangelists and the the pastors and the teachers. And we looked at those things that He's given us to help us to be able to be what we need to be. But I want us to move on this morning to verse 4 in our reading and finish off the first sermon and move into the second one if we can. Why are we to do this? He says, "For Because there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Because certain men, certain people have crept in unawares, he says here. Means that they have sneaked in, unnoticed. Literally in the Greek it means to get in by the side, to sneak or slip in somewhere by by a side door, unnoticed, where nobody knows that they are there these who have sneaked in unaware, that have slipped into our midst, he says that they were before of old ordained to this condemnation. In other words, speaking of being ordained, they were marked out long ago. They were written about, written of beforehand. We find that in verse 14 and 15, Right here in Jude. It said, And Enoch also, the servant from Adam, prophesied of thee saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In other words, Jude is saying, Enoch, he was the one, the seventh from Adam. He was the one that wrote about these things all those years ago and warned about them. If you were to turn back into the Old Testament, to the book of Deuteronomy, and we won't take time to read all of it, but let me just begin there because I want you to grasp a few things. He says, if there arise among you a Prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass. Whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Listen, even though one were to come to you as a prophet, as a dreamer of dreams, and he were to tell you something, and it were to come to pass. He's saying if it's leading you away from God, if it's leading you away from the truth of God, notice what he says in verse 3, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear Him, and keep His commandments, and obey His voice, and ye shall serve Him, and cleave unto Him. That prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put evil away from the midst of thee. The Bible is very clear. This is back in the book of Deuteronomy. This is a reality even in their days, that there were these that were coming and claiming to be spokesmen of God. They were claiming to have had things revealed to them in their dreams. But in fact, that which they were prophesying, that which they were getting as revelation, rather than being from God, was taking them away from God, away from God's commandments. He said, this is where you'll be proved, following His commandments. You see, there's Same thing has been happening right through history. And we still have those today. And I said, you know, I understand how that it could be extremely confusing either for a non-Christian or a young Christian that's put their faith and trust in Christ. And they've got all these people telling them all these stories. And, And today we have many that claim to be getting new revelation, that God is showing them something that they're prophesying of God. Now, the simple fact is this. You know, I am not going to try to begin now to work out what's of God and what's not of God and what people say. I will tell you this. We do have a guide that will never, ever, ever fail us. Let God be a judge in simple truth, no matter what anybody says. I mean, stop and think for a moment. I realize that sometimes there would be those that would say that we're being overcritical, but stop and think for a moment. If we were to go outside of what we would consider our Christian faith, but yet we would look at these people that undoubtedly love God, they have a sincere, genuine love for God. Matter of fact, some of them have a higher standard of morals and live to higher character with their lives And many Christians do. But we can go. And I say this not out of love, but in love. Where did the Jehovah's Witnesses come from? Sincere, genuine, God-loving people, many of them. But they do not believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. They don't accept and believe Jesus for who He is, and there's many other things. But you see, that religion began with a dreamer, a man named Russell. (laughs) And it began with his new revelations. We can go today to a group called the Mormons. Again, very high morals many times. People of good character, loving people, a sincere, genuine love for God many times but they do not see Jesus Christ as God, just as a God. <laughs> and they believe that they will become a God someday. And there's all kinds of things that. but where did it begin? It began with a man by the name of Joseph Smith that had a dream, that had a vision. We could go across the spectrum. Where did Islam come from today? Because... A man named Muhammad had a dream, a vision, new revelation. And you can go down the list and down the list and down the list. It's not something that's new. Yes, it's around us. But he's saying there have been those all along. But you can't follow man's dreams. You can't follow somebody just because they say that they speak for God. There must be a guide, and it must be God Himself, and it must be God's Word that guides us so that man cannot take us away. What Jude is saying here, he says, you know, look, this was in the early church. We find that here in the early church, probably around 60-some years after uh, Christ had, had ascended back to heaven, We find that he's saying, these men, they're men that have been marked out, that have been identified, they've been written up beforehand, and condemnation has already passed upon them. He said they're ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. The grace of God into lasciviousness. In other words, they're taking the grace of God and they're making it a license to sin. You see, lasciviousness is just that all-out sinful living. Oh, but we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Therefore, we can do anything we want. (laughs) We can live any way that we want to live because it's not the law that saves us. and God's a gracious God. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul spoke of this. Notice what he said in verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The next word out of his mouth is God forbid. That is such a strong word. How dare we even think such a thing? that we continue in sin just because God is a gracious God so that His grace can be seen all the more in forgiving us. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I used to have some very interesting conversations with, with some of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters in Christ because you know, they used to like to really come on to me hard, oh, you're one of those once saved, always saved fellas. <laughs> you think you know that you can just get saved and pray a prayer and then live any way you want to, and it doesn't make any difference. But on the other hand, they believed you could some some of them believed you could get saved and get lost and go back and get saved again and go, go back and get lost. And, you know, you really, never really knew it depending on, you know, whether you got forgiveness for that sin or not, whether you were going to make it in the, the pearly gates or not. That's kind of like the way it was. You've heard me tell before between the great preachers, George Whitfield and, and and John Wesley. George Whitfield, of course, uh, being more from a, a strong Calvinist standpoint and believing in eternal security and John Wesley from a very strong Armenian and much more of a work salvation. And, of course, both of them are godly men and, of course, they knew each other well, and they both knew without any shadow of a doubt that we going to go to heaven together someday. And Apparently, George Whitfield, in one of his conversations with John Wesley one day, said, John, he said, I love you. You're my brother. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. He said, you know the only difference? He said, between now and then, he said, you're going to worry about every day of your life, whether you're going to get there or not. I'm going to enjoy living for the Lord because I know that I'm going, you know. God's grace is sufficient. But what Paul is saying here is, you see, when we can even begin to think, well, I can go ahead and do this sin. I can go ahead and do this because God's such a gracious God. My sins are forgiven. He's saying, how can you even think such a thing? If you're dead to sin, how can you still live in sin? You see, this is really what the perseverance of the saints is all about. (laughs) Those that really get saved are saved for eternity. But it's not just a prayer. It's not just some religious act. It's not getting involved in church. It's not being baptized. It's not becoming a member of the church. It's none of those things without Jesus Christ told Nicodemus that if he wanted to see the kingdom, he's the one. It wasn't us evangelicals that came up with the term born-again Christian Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. That's the only way, Nicodemus. That's the only way you're going to get there. The Bible says when that happens, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Praise God. You see, you don't become perfect. But if Jesus Christ truly takes up residence in your life, you don't want to live in sin anymore. You don't want to be there. When you do something in your life that you're convicted of, you know that it's sin, you immediately, you want to get away from it. You don't want anything to do with it. You want forgiveness for it. We find that in verse 15 and 16 of that same chapter in Romans chapter 6, it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? There's that word again. God forbid. How dare we even think such a thing? Absolutely certainly not. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey; whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Who are ye you giving your life to? Who are ye you yielding yourself to? Do you not realize That whoever you're yielding yourself to, that's who your master is. (laughs) That's who your Lord is. Who are we giving ourselves to? These are ungodly men that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Because God is a gracious God, they try to take advantage of that. Which of what I can read and gather in the Word of God to even think such things is a pretty good pointer (laughs) that you probably never got what you thought you got in the first place anyway, if you can go around thinking about how you can sin and get away with it. But notice here, he says, they are also denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you deny the Lord Jesus Christ and still have a faith (laughs) to recognize, to believe well we won't spend a lot of time there but we've already shared that there are some that do that They, they know that the man Jesus lived but they don't accept the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ I've said before I see absolutely no biblical basis for taking out fire insurance against hell. I see no biblical basis for taking Jesus Christ as your Savior, just so that you can go to heaven one day and not have to spend an eternity in hell and yet not accept him as Lord. See, we want the easy way. We want him to make it okay for us but we don't want to make any commitments to him. I see no biblical basis for that kind of Christianity. I know that uh, many would disagree with me today, and I believe with all my heart that that's one of the fundamentals that we must stand upon. You can't make salvation what you want to make it. It's true. We must constantly and continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a matter of us yielding ourselves. That's what Paul was talking about there in Romans chapter 6. Who are we yielding ourselves to? We can't get more of a person. We either have him or we don't. We have the Holy Spirit if we're a child of God. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, he says we're none of his. We have him. But to be filled with him is to yield, to give ourselves to him daily. But there's only one God. There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit, and together they make up the one Godhead. The problem all too often today is that some people really, all that they really want is their fire insurance. (laughs) They don't want their life to change. And, of course, we know that that's just not possible. That's trying to make Christianity something that it was never meant to be. So, as a result of the apostasy, everybody know the difference. You know what an, what an apostate is versus an agnostic. We get all these all these different names that we call people, or or an atheist. I don't know why so many of them start with an A? <laughs> but uh, I mean, basically, an atheist is one that just says there is no God. Um, an agnostic hasn't made up his mind yet. <laughs> He's just kind of you know, just, just undecided, not, not willing to commit anywhere. But an apostate is somebody that has known the truth but turned from it. Apostasy is the big thing that's being addressed in the book of Jude. The danger of having the truth, of knowing the truth, and turning away from it. And the reality is, is that many of of those that would be the greatest enemies of the church are those that have known the truth and yet they've compromised it away. They've not been willing to take the stand. They've been deceived themselves in looking for something that is more than what God has given them in His Word. And so we find that there's this apostasy, heresy, that which is being taught which just is not truth. And he says that this has sneaked in unawares through the side door, certainly into the church as a whole. We talk about the body of Christ and our brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever tags and titles they may hang over the door if they've been genuinely born again, But attempting to do that, folks, there is no invisible authoritative body out there. The authority is in the local visible body. It happens in the local church. It happens with real people, with real human beings. And that's where we have to take and recognize that, yes, all of Christianity has seen much of this. But it happens on a basis with people gathered just like we are here this morning with God's people. We find that ungodly people that are trying to, on the one hand, minimize sin, trying to hang on to the things of the world and live as much with the world and a part of the world as they possibly can, denying the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives, wanting Him as their Savior, but not being willing to genuinely commit themselves 100% to Him, to live by His love, by His word, by His laws, by His commands. We find that the Bible says we've got to earnestly or intensely, if you would, Bide and do whatever is necessary to defend the truth, to defend the purity of our faith in all of its fullness, not to be willing to compromise and throw away what what God has given us, a faith that is founded upon the finished work of Christ. He himself, he built his church. He left this with us. He made the provision for us with His own gifts so that we could be built up, so that we could be sustained in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It hasn't changed. It was delivered once for all. As we begin to look over these next weeks at that faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, We begin here in Jude with just some some practical insight and some practical instruction that's given to us on how to contend for this faith. And then we'll look at some of those things that that really do matter. There are a lot of things that Christians can can disagree on and, and they really ought to just just agree to disagree and move on. People want to fight and divide and split over things that they're not fundamental. And even if they're important to me, that doesn't mean that they're fundamental to the faith that somebody else is living just as surely. Folks, there's a lot of things we can't disagree on. We cannot. It is impossible to and still be part of the same faith. Some things are essential. They're fundamental. I want to give you a couple of verses in closing this morning, and we'll leave off there until next week. Notice these passages. In Luke chapter 18, turn with me there in your Bibles, if you would. Gospel of Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Jesus here, ministering as he often did with parables, He says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though they bear long with him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? What a searching question that he finishes that parable with. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Again, not just referring to our personal faith, but belief in the whole body of truth, the faith that he has left with us. What is he going to find when he returns? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Notice in verse 13, reading down through verse 16, he says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Quit ye like men, be strong, Let all things be done with charity, with love. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to every one that helpeth with us, and laboreth. Watch ye. Stand fast. Quit you like men. In other words, he's saying, be alert. Stand strong and stand firm in the faith. Act like men. You ever you ever talk to children? They wish you'd act your age. <laughs> you ever feel that way with adults sometimes? <laughs> Quit acting like a two-year-old. <laughs> Well, that's basically what he's saying to us here. Act like adults. Show your maturity. Stand firm. Be strong. The truth is we know the enemy is out there. He's already told us beforehand all that was going to take place. We have no excuse for letting him slip in unawares and not do something about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Notice what he says in verses 5 to 8. He gets personal. He says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You know, I have no way of knowing any other human being alive whether or not they are in the faith, whether they're truly born again. It's a personal thing. He says, Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates, For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. First thing you got to do is get true to yourself. (laughs) Examine yourself, whether you're really part of the faith or not. But folks, the only way we're ever, ever, ever going to fight this battle is with truth. It's not our opinions that matter. It's not what this branch or that branch or this denomination or that denomination or anybody else says. It's the truth. We've got to know absolute certainty that we are part of it and we must stand and we must fight with that truth that He's given us. Colossians chapter 1. Notice what He says, picking up in verse 9. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, where it pleased the Father, that in him, Jesus is talking about, should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. You see, it's vital, it's vital that we continue, that we be grounded, that we be settled. But what we see is that all of it, everything, it's all in Christ. It's all in Him. He's why that we're here. He's why that we need to fight. And yet it's in His strength that we'll be able to accomplish. It's in His strength that we'll be able to do it find that there is a battle to be fought. I'm not going to read all of the passages. In Colossians chapter 2, we find that he talks about being rooted and built up in him established in the faith. As ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In other words, our roots need to run deep. If we're going to be strong, we need to be established in the faith by the truth, by what we've been taught, he says. In 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, in Titus chapter 1, Paul said to Titus, he said, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. The pastor has that great responsibility, if you would, as the saying goes, to stick to his guns no matter what, not to be moved. When it comes to God's Word, there is no room to waver. There is only one truth. We're to hold that truth up, to exhort them that hold to that truth, and to use that same truth to refute to contradict the gainsayers. In all these passages and many others, we as true believers, we're being encouraged that we've got something worth fighting for. And we've got the strength. We've got everything that we need to fight this battle. But we ourselves, we've got to be sure. And we've got to be grounded. We've got to be built up in His strength. But we won't have a chance. We're to take a stand for the truth. That means no matter what it costs. Because if we lose the truth, we lose everything. This world doesn't need any more religion. This world doesn't need any more religion. It needs more of Christ. It needs more of Christ. You realize this? The Christian faith, or maybe I should say there is no Christian faith without the truth. If you remove the truth, we have no faith left. There is a fight to be fought. And we've got to fight for a faith in all of its fullness. We've got to fight on a foundation That's firm. We've got to fight against a foe that's a fraud, that's a sneak, that's a deceiver that wants to slip in by the side door unnoticed, and He wants to turn us from the truth, from that which we know. We know the truth, but He wants to turn us from it. We need to be grounded. We need to be grounded deep. The greatest way to recognize the error is through the truth, God willing, that'll be our our next sermon as we move on to verses 5 through 16, exposing the error, exposing the error. But today, I want to leave you with the thought, the idea. First of all, examine yourself. Know that you're in the faith that we're talking about, the faith that we're wanting to contend for, that we want to fight for, that we want to... Stand upon, and yes, we find time and time again we're to do that in love, folks. We'll look at some of, some of that next week, God willing. Truth is, is that there is no real love and real fellowship apart from the truth. It's a false fellowship. It's a false love if we can't even be honest. But in love, on our board, on our bulletins. We have that simple slogan, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's what we want to do, but we need to stand firm. Father, you know the hearts of each individual here today. Father, you know the needs of each and every heart, exactly what they need, Lord, and we just pray that you would take the simplicity of this sermon this morning, that you would use it for your glory. Father, that you would help us to realize how important this fight is, that we're to be fighting. That you'd help us, Lord, even as you have declared to us in your word here, help each one, Lord, to examine themselves personally, each individual. Father, nobody else can do that examination. And, Father, we pray that if there be any here this morning that are found wanting, they don't have that certainty. They may be just as genuine and just as sincere, their love for God and their desire to be right with God as many of those that, Lord, we've taken a peek at this morning, that without the truth, none of that matters. Father, I pray that you would work in those hearts as you and you alone can. Father, I pray that you would encourage and help each and every Christian to believe what's happened to us is the greatest thing in all the world. And it's worth fighting for. Your truth is worth fighting for. We're privileged to have it. Lord, you've given it to us. You've preserved it for us. I pray that you'd help us as individuals and as a church to be determined to take that stand, to contend for the faith that's been delivered to us once for all. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.